the history of minnesota and tales of the frontier part two this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by larry wilson the history of minnesota and tales of the frontier part two by charles e flandrau section twenty two the virgin feast in all ages and among all people who had progressed beyond absolute individualism and gained any kind of government or community interests there must have been some kind of law to settle disputes and controversies whether of a public or private nature and i remember once in the very early days of minnesota of witnessing a test which bore a close resemblance to a trial by jury and involved an important question of individual character which would have been classified under our jurisprudence as an action of slander it occurred among the sioux indians and presented many features of much interest that made an impression on me which i have never forgotten the whole proceeding was absolutely natural and aboriginal in its character and conduct and free from the technicalities which sometimes obstruct the progress of the administration of justice in modern times it is well known that the value of the testimony of a witness depends very much upon his demeanor and manner of delivering it in court and that the judge usually tells the jury that they must take these matters into consideration in giving it its true weight but in the case i am about to relate there was nothing but the appearance and manner of the witnesses testifying upon which to base a judgment of their truth or falsity and it was this novel feature that lent additional and peculiar interest to the controversy the sioux indians have a rude kind of jurisprudence which gets at the truth by a sort of natural intuition and the case i witnessed convinced me that justice had been reached with more certainty than in nine out of ten of our jury trials we have all heard of trial by battle under the old english law and the trial of witches by water where if they sank and drowned they were innocent and if they floated they were guilty and were hanged but this trial was based on public sentiment or the ability of bystanders to detect guilt or innocence from the appearance and conduct of the litigants during the trial which although a crude method is in my judgment much safer than some of those practised by our ancestors at no very remote date the trial i refer to is called the virgin feast it is brought about in this way some gossip or scandal is started in a band about one of the young women it reaches the ears of her mother in order to test its truth or falsity the mother commands her daughter to give a virgin feast the accused cooks some rice and invites all the maidens of the band to come and partake they appear each with a red spot painted on each cheek as an emblem of virginity they seat themselves in a semicircle on the prairie and the hostess supplies each of them with a bowl of rice which is set before her a boulder painted red is placed in front of them about ten feet distant and a large knife is thrust into the ground in front of and close up to the stone all the young men attend as spectators this ceremony is on the part of the accused and any girl who takes a place in the ring a challenge to the world that if any one has aught to say against her he has the privilege of saying it if nothing is said and the feast is eaten uninterruptedly 
the maiden who gave the feast is vindicated and the gossip disbelieved but if the challenge is taken up by any young buck he steps forward and seizes the girl he accuses by the hand pulls her out of the ring and makes his charges she has the right of swearing on the stone and knife to her innocence which goes a great way in her vindication but is not conclusive if she swears and he persists an altercation ensues and public sentiment is formed on view of the contestant's actions i remember once at one of these trials of seeing a young fellow about twenty-five step forward and rudely grasp the hand of a girl about sixteen jerk her to her feet and make some scandalous charge against her the look she gave him was so full of righteous indignation scorn and offended virtue that no one could see it without being at once enlisted in her favor she glared on him for a moment with a look that only outraged innocence can assume when shouts went up from the crowd swear swear she approached the stone with the bearing of a princess and placed her hand upon it with an air that could not be mistaken then throwing a look of triumph at the spectators she strode back to face her accuser with the confidence that bespeaks innocence the fellow began to weaken and in less than a moment was in full flight with a howling mob after him hurling sticks and stones at him with no gentle intent he disappeared and the girl took her place in the ring as fully vindicated as if the lord chief justice of england had decided her case i recollect very distinctly that my convictions of her innocence induced by the general features of the trial and conduct of the litigants were as strong as any member of the court it probably would not do to depend upon such evidence in the more complicated affairs of civilized life and with a people educated in dissimulation and the control of the emotions but with a simple and natural people i don't believe many mistakes were made in arriving at just judgments innocence unmoved at a false accusation doth the more confirm itself and guilt is best discovered by its own fears End of section twenty two